podcast that teaches you how to have a higher quality sex life, where I share cutting-edge research in neuroscience and psychology, relatable stories, and practical mindfulness-based skills so that you can maximize your pleasure potential and unlock more awareness and energy in every area of your life. I am Master Life Coach and Mindfulness Expert, Danielle Savory, and I am thrilled to be on this journey with you. Hello, 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 lovelies. How's everyone doing? So before we jump into our episode today, I just wanted to share a little bit of news and information with you uh, so you can proceed accordingly. (laughs) So some of you might have noticed, some of you have reached out to me on other avenues. And yes, my Instagram is no longer... Uh, it's been, I don't know when you're going to be hearing this, so it could be back on. But as of now, it's been over 10 days and Instagram has disabled my account, meaning that when I go to it and log in, they say that this account has been deactivated and deleted. Contact customer service if you think this has been made a mistake and fill out all the forms which I did, of course. And they said that I violated community guidelines by soliciting sexual services, which we all know is a bunch of BS. So this has gotten me fired up in so many different ways. Obviously, the first thing that I felt was just completely heartbreaking broken (laughs) and full of so much grief. You know, before I even started my business, before I became a sex coach, I still used my same handle. I was still on Instagram and it's really where I worked through a lot of my things. It became like an online journal, you know, with a lot of my writing when I worked through some of my illnesses and my health problems, when I found out I had cancer, when we built our yurt when one of the girls was born, all of that on there. And so to have all of that gone, also in addition to the valuable content that I have been creating as my business over the last five years, gone in an instance, was shocking and heartbreaking and all of the things. Where I am at with it now is I'm going to keep fighting it. (laughs) I'm going to keep trying to get it back. I had so much fun making content and connecting with people there. It's such an easy way for people to send me messages or to send comments where we were able to connect or I could answer quick questions. And I loved that. I love that actual, I mean, it's social media. I love the social part of that. And I do miss that. I also know that this mission that I am on to help us, you know, deprogram the patriarchy from our brain to really help women prioritize pleasure, to make female pleasure an important part and a fabric of our culture is why I'm here. It's to help women feel juicier in their body and less self-critical and not so stressed all the time and to be able to have these passionate connections with themselves, with their intimate partners, with everything that I believe is possible. It is such an important part of our existence and it gets me so fired up to think that there is a platform that is okay with all of the representation for men being able to consume 
images of women of objects of pleasure. But the minute that a woman starts talking about how more women can tap into their own desires, how more women can actually feel their own pleasure, how they can start questioning their people-pleasing tendencies that they've had all the time, their perfectionism, all of that. And that's banned? Like, are you kidding me? That only gets me more fired up. So I don't know exactly what the next step is, but I know that there is going to be big things that come from this. And I hope that you will join me in this mission and in this journey, knowing how important it is. You know, I had over 24,000 followers on Instagram, which isn't, you know, one of the huge (laughs) followers, but it's not nothing. And I know there are people out there listening and how I'm going to reach them next if I don't have Instagram is the question of the day. But in the meantime, make sure you're on my mailing list. This is the best way to get up to date. I've already started infusing, you know, these inboxes with actual practices to do, reminders, concepts. They're a great way to keep this part of your growth and this part of your own pleasure journey and learning how to prioritize it at the top of mind. So get on my mailing list. You can find that in the show notes because we never know what kind of platforms might be taken away or I might be banned on. And that is the best way to make sure that you get the most up-to-date information about the workshops that I'm offering. I'm going to be doing a challenge soon. Any of the programs that I have, any of the meditations that I like to share in there for the community. So get on that mailing list so you do not miss out. And that being said, I was getting ready to do a Q&A. So I've never done a Q&A, like a listener Q&A on the podcast. And I really am excited about doing that. So I really want you all to send in your questions. Send in your questions that you have. I started um, getting so many questions in my DM on my social media on Instagram, and I lost them. I don't have them now. I have notes of a couple of them, but I want to like repopulate some of the questions. Even if you're a man, if you're a woman, it doesn't matter. Ask away. Ask your questions to me. Send them to team at daniellesavory.com. Just put in the subject line podcast Q&A. Nothing is TMI. These will be kept completely anonymous, but these this is your opportunity to ask me anything. And I am going to do a podcast, maybe even two, depending on how many questions we have to answer your burning questions about sex, about pleasure, maybe you have questions for me personally, uh, maybe you have questions about some of my clients, maybe you have questions about the programs, maybe you have questions about like the brain and the psychology, something personal that you're going through. Whatever it is, this is your chance to ask your questions. So ask, and I'm going to do that in a podcast episode. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into today's topic, which is perfectionism and pleasure. These two things are basically like oil and water. (laughs) They don't really, really mix, right? And I really wanted to talk about how perfectionism shows up with our work with pleasure because this is such a huge part of my work. And I don't think that we spend enough time taking a look at our perfectionist tendencies and how that's impacting our pleasure. Now, there's so many different angles that I could go through with this topic, but I really wanted to just distill it down to seeing how, like I said, our 
if we identify as a perfectionist, if we have perfectionist tendencies, if we're a recovering perfectionist, how some behavior might be creeping back in related to sex or not, and how that's impacting your pleasure. Because perfectionism is one of those like things that's kind of like an invasive, noxious weed, right? <laughs> that just sprout up and it completely can take over. So I remember even like at my first job interview, well, my first job out of college, I had a bunch of other jobs through high school and through college, but my first like job for a career, let's say, where I was asked about strengths and failures and all of those normal kind of questions and me being a good student, of course, I was like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. Now, keep in mind that this was before all the research and the knowledge had come up or had we before we had any kind of general open conversation around mental health, around self-care, around hustle culture. It was before any of that. This is the early 2000s, right? And I remember wearing that label of perfectionism so proudly. I remember wearing that label of perfectionism as early as middle school and definitely all the way through my academic years in the first part of my professional life. I identified as a perfectionist and that felt like a badge of honor. That felt good. It felt validating. It meant that I had held myself to a high standard or a higher standard than most for my life. And therefore, the idea being that I would be able to achieve greater things because I was aiming for perfect, right? I was aiming for perfectionism. I was aiming to be the best. But, oh my God, I was so wrong. I was so, so wrong. Perfectionism is actually what I believe created the most suffering in my life. It created me not reaching my goals and then giving up on them completely. It cut me off from my body. It denied me pleasure. It created this dysfunctional relationship with myself, with my studies, with my professional pursuits. It created a dysfunctional relationship with the way that I worked out with the sports that I chose to do. And ultimately, I believe that perfectionism is the thing that led to so many of my health problems as well. So I don't know where you're at with perfectionism. and That might kind of sound rather dramatic. And we all know me. I do tend to flare on the dramatic But when it comes to this, I'm convinced of everything I just said, and I want to explain to you exactly why perfectionism was at the root of so much pain and suffering, so much unnecessary suffering in my life, and more specifically, how it might be impacting your own pursuit of pleasure. And really, I think the key for us all is to become so acutely aware of how this way of being, this concept of perfectionism, the mental dialogue and mindset that perfectionism creates is impacting us. This is going to be more a look at how it's showing up so that you can have like awareness around it. Of course, there's so many things that you can do, but I think it's most important of what helped me the most was to become intimately aware of my perfectionist tendencies, of all of the areas that was showing up, becoming so aware of how it was impacting my life, 
seeing how painful it was, really, really feeling it, I had to go through that. I still have to go through that sometimes. And when we become so aware of how this is showing up, how much pain it's really creating, it's like, yeah, I'm going to change this. Yeah, there are things that I'm like finally ready to let go of it because it's one of those things. Perfectionism is one of those things that gets so hardwired and hammered into our being. And the culture that we live in supports the, you know, the ideology of perfectionism as well, that you really have to get so aware of the way that it's impacting your life and hurting you before you're ready to make a change, before you're ready to really be like, you know what, I'm ready to let this go. So perfectionism is first defined as this pursuit of being, or at least appearing perfect, right? (laughs) It is under the assumption that perfectionism exists in the first place, which is also really, really important to know. Because if perfectionism or a perfect state of being didn't exist, (laughs) then we wouldn't be trying to go and get it. So we have to see that there's this underlying assumption that perfectionism exists. But what we know that in most cases, the state of being perfect is not defined. It's just like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. Same with perfectionism. Most of this like will change, right? Our definition of it is going to change based on the person, based on their beliefs, based on their culture, based on each circumstance, depending on who you're asking. So being able to identify first and foremost that asking yourself if you do have perfectionist tendencies is like, what would perfect even look like? (laughs) Like really getting curious because sometimes we're just aiming for something and when we see what perfect actually looks like, you realize how ludicrous it is to begin with to expect that of yourself. But when we think of how perfectionist tendencies truly show up, right, us aiming for and going after the pursuit of this elusive perfect, it becomes really obvious how much wreckage it creates along the way. And it makes so much sense when you really pause and think about it, why the experience of pleasure on the flip side is so hard to access when you are in a state or when you are (laughs) expressing your perfectionist tendencies. So for most people, for perfectionism plants its seed because of this internal feeling we have around inadequacy, right? This is exactly my own relationship with perfectionism, like not feeling good enough. And it's motivated from this place of fear that in order to be accepted or feel like you belong or feel loved or validated or seen or whatever it might be, we must meet this certain criteria. We must be perfect or meet this standard to belong, to become lovable. And this is prevalent in women with the way that we have constantly been socialized to be a perfect daughter or throw a perfect party or be a wonderful host or, you know, a straight A student whatever it might be, we are told that being a certain way will have us become more desirable, more likable, more acceptable to others. We belong in the room because of what we've achieved, because of how we're showing up, because of the way that we look. 
I mean, when you really, really think about it, even as like, I have memories of being a young girl and being praised over and over for doing well, for sitting up straight, for being nice, for being friendly, for being a good friend, for working hard, for getting straight A's, whatever. And later in life, then we're praised on how we look. Like if we look like we've lost weight (laughs) or we threw a great party or we're a great host or you're checking off all the boxes of education and relationship, buying a house, career, starting a family, whatever. And it isn't that this praise is wrong or bad, right? I don't want to say that the praise itself is wrong or bad, but it can become problematic because inside what we mean is we make that praise be what we're aiming for. We make that praise mean that we are worthy. We wait for somebody else to tell us we're doing a good job or we look good enough or you know we're really friendly. And because of this, it makes it so we never create that feeling of adequacy inside of ourselves from the forefront. And so then it creates this situation where you're constantly feeling like you have to perform at this particular standard in order to feel okay, in order to feel acceptable and loved and belonging. So when you don't feel like you're living up to these unrealistic standards, You know, when you don't feel like you're meeting the mark or somehow you've let other people down, you're in your head berating yourself. Like, what's wrong with you? You're not a good enough mom. Why don't you play with your kids like the other moms do? You're not a good enough wife. You probably should be having sex more. How can you not take care of yourself? You're so lazy. You're such an oof or whatever. (laughs) I think that's what one of my clients referred to herself as. Like, what's wrong? Why would you just eat when you're not even hungry? So then we start getting down on ourselves. We start treating ourselves awful because we're not living up to these standards. And we set goals. Even when it comes to goal setting, you set goals or you even avoid setting goals because you're afraid that you won't be able to follow through. You're afraid you won't be able to meet them. And then what's on the other side of this failure, we have such this fear of failure, is this self-flagellation. It's this entire entourage of thoughts of like not being smart enough, not being good enough, not being able to figure it out, being too lazy, not being disciplined enough, not being present enough, not being flirting enough or playful enough or sexy enough, right? The list goes on and on of not enough. So perfectionism, again, is really rooted in this overall feeling of inadequacy. I simply do not measure up. And for me, this recently came up in full force. Like I was on the floor bawling my eyes out and I was so surprised because I have done so much work in this area over the years, how vitriol my thoughts were, how unkind my brain was, how they were taking this moment of vulnerability to lash out on me. And even thinking back on it, like it makes me emotional because it's like when you hear those words from yourself, when you become so aware of how unkind your own brain can be, it's hard. It's hard to come to terms with like that critic sometimes where you're just like, what? I would never even talk to a complete stranger this way. Why would I talk to myself like this? 
when you're in it, when you're listening to it, sometimes you don't even have that awareness that it's this voice. It just feels true. And you just feel this visceral feeling in your body of being completely shut down. And that's how it was for me. I just felt completely shut down and completely devastated. I was making this particular circumstance mean that I wasn't stored enough, that I didn't belong, that I wasn't good enough, that I couldn't figure it out, that I couldn't, you know, all the things, all the things that I just listed off. And that was that perfectionist. Like I had created a standard so high for myself, higher for myself than I would never, (laughs) if it was anyone else, would have been like, what do you mean? Why can't you achieve that? You're fine and been down on them. Like It was only for me. And that's usually how perfectionism shows up. It's really a standard for ourselves, not for everyone else. But the minute after I just completely felt my body shut down and I could see all of these Things that this inner critic was just like yelling at me. There was that small part of me that's done all of this work that started being like, oh, yeah, this is just my brain. This is an old tendency. Of course, my brain is going back here. This happens sometimes. And then it was like, okay, excuse me, hold the phone. What kind of bullshit is this? <laughs> I could see it because I could see how painful it is. And that's what I'm saying is sometimes when it comes to perfectionism, we have to keep going through it over and over and over again because it creeps in. It like moves through the cracks. It moves through the sludge, even if you've done a lot of work with it. But you keep paying attention. You keep looking out for it. You keep bringing your awareness to another level so you can see when it creeps in and you see the harm it's really causing. Because when I was thinking those thoughts, it hurt. It physically hurt. My body felt like under attack because it was under attack. Like somebody was just punching me in the gut. When we speak to ourselves like this, when we're holding ourselves up to perfectionist standards, then it has a direct impact on your physical being. It is going to shut you down. It is going to hurt. And this suffering, sometimes we need to feel the suffering and realize it is the voice in your head that's causing it. It is the expectation that if you put on yourself to start with and then not meeting that expectation, what you're met with. And that's really our opportunity to increase our awareness around both the expectation, because we wouldn't be beating ourselves up if the expectation wasn't there, right? So, so much of what I talk about here is how to start helping your voice be a little more understanding and a nicer and kinder, but we also need to take a look at the expectations to begin with. Because you wouldn't have so much self-compassion work to do if you didn't have the expectations, right? If I didn't have these particular expectations or standards just for me that I had for nobody else, I wouldn't have been so mean to myself afterwards. So after I could see this, I was just like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. 
And am I really ready to let these type of things go? Am I really ready to just believe or to never think again that I'm not smart enough or that I don't belong or that they've got something that I don't or somebody's better than me or I'm not good enough? Can I truly, like it was like Danielle, like this really heart to heart moment. Are you ready to finally let those thoughts go? And the answer was a resounding yes. Because I can truly see after so many years of work, like how painful it is to keep these thoughts, how much wreckage it causes. And during this time when my body was completely shut down, I was completely unable to access pleasure right? I was completely unable to even get to that place that I felt relaxed, that I felt calm, that I was able to access pleasure. Because you have to be completely aware of how your expectations, how not meeting these expectations, and then how you treat yourself when you don't, all of that and how that really creates this impact on your availability to feel at ease to feel calm, to feel pleasure, because your body will shut down. Like doors closed, no business. No, don't come back tomorrow. Like maybe ever again, this is like really close for business. And of course it felt this way because that inside, it was just like screaming to myself, like a lazy piece of shit, right? Of course you're going to feel attacked. We've talked about this a lot and what happens to your nervous system. Because can you even imagine someone yelling to you, like sometimes how we yell to ourselves internally, of course you're going to cower and shut down and shrink and freeze or want to run away. It's absolutely awful. And this is exactly what perfectionism does. It creates these unrealistic expectations, those standards that do not take into account the whole like human thing, right? (laughs) Perfectionism just has you comparing your chapter to someone else's chapter 43, or it has you even comparing your book on cooking to someone else's book on U.S. history, like not even the same. And you become self-abusive in the meantime. It has you believing that not playing with your kids and loving playing dolls (laughs) or sometimes checking out makes you mean you're a bad mom. Perfectionism has you doing years of yo-yo dieting or like pinching or analyzing every single square inch of your body. Perfectionism even has you brushing off your accomplishments, even when you do achieve, because you could have done it better. You could have done it quicker. You should have known something that you probably shouldn't have known so that you didn't have this hiccup along the way. Perfectionism has you spending hours and hours agonizing over that email or that post or that video or whatever it is instead of just sending the damn thing out. And then you get down on yourself for not actually getting the thing done you set out to do. Now, you might be wondering, And I think you can put the pieces together because you are all smart and you've been listening to my podcast for a while. But what the hell does this have to do with sex? And it has everything to do with sex, my friends, because in order to create that yummy, juicy atmosphere for pleasure, we have to create the container for pleasure to thrive in. And when your body is under attack from your own critics, from your 
you know, the standards you set out for yourself from how you treat yourself when you don't meet those, when you never feel good enough, when you beat yourself up for not getting it done for what, when you are up in your head or you're worrying or you're stressing all the time, you're not connected to your body. You're like this ball of tension. You're in survival mode and you've swung your nervous system completely out of whack, even so much so that you don't even have blood flow going to the parts we want to have blood flow going to. Your container is literally repelling pleasure away because this aim for us to be flawless for this aim for us to achieve at this standard we set out for ourselves is literally impossible. And the way that you treat yourself because of these supposed missteps and flaws, right, creates a container, your body, feeling fearful, feeling shut down. So all of those standards are going to definitely have a profound impact on your sex life, especially on your desire. Because when you're feeling that, like when I was on the ground, like feeling all of that, do you think I wanted sex? Absolutely not. Do you think I even really wanted to be touched or talk it through? No. (laughs) Like I said, closed for business. And it also makes us, let's say that you do follow through and you're having sex, it makes it almost impossible to actually feel good because you're all tight. You're really tense. This is what a lot of times makes sex really uncomfortable and not pleasurable. Plus, if you're also feeling all this way about yourself, your motor in your brain is still going on. So when I talk about the brain wandering, it's still going. Like you might be having sex, but you're not completely present for the experience. But another way this directly impacts your sex life is when your perfectionist tendencies show up with sex, like actually <laughs> with your your being as a sexual being. For instance, like you might think that there's a perfect amount of time you should be having sex each week. Or there might be standards about how and when sex can happen. Like when you've shaved your legs and you're nicely groomed and you're totally clean and you smell good. Or even when the house is totally clean, when you don't have stuff lying around or when you're just feeling really good about yourself. You're just feeling on top of the world, whether that's about the work that you're doing or your body or whatever. Or maybe when you feel like completely emotionally connected to your partner. So we keep all of these standards, kind of like this checklist, like, oh, you know, when it's all these things are going good, when all these things are perfect out here, then, then I'll have more desire. It can also show up in how long you think it should take to get aroused or what the perfect orgasm looks like, like your sounds and how long it takes and uh, how long it lasts. You might have your perfectionist tendencies creep in for when you're thinking that there is a right way to ask for what you want. That you better not be weird when you're asking this. You better not be awkward. You have to say it boldly. You have to say it kindly. And so a lot of times, this is exactly like what I said, a lot of times when we have these standards for ourselves, these perfectionist standards of everything has to be done in a right way, we either don't ever, it's usually most of my clients don't ever ever ask for what they want because they're so afraid of not doing it right. 
They're so afraid of being in this vulnerable situation of not articulating what they want in the right way. They're so afraid, you know, of sometimes even going ahead and saying yes to scheduled sex because what if they don't get aroused in the right amount of time? What if they aren't able to, to orgasm? So our perfectionist tendencies show up a lot in our sex life. And I really want you all to think about how they might be showing up for you. And unfortunately, for most of us who identify with perfectionism or a recovering perfectionist, let's say, it can often spill over into how we view our partners and holding them up to a particular standard. And it's really fascinating how this works because when I first learned how harmful my perfectionism was, I also learned how harmful it was to my relationship, not just because of the way it impacted me, but because of the standards I held to my partner. And I was talking to a psychologist about this at one of the workshops that I was attending. And it was really fascinating because he was explaining to me that it's because we look at our partners as an extension of us, right? So it's, we might not keep our friends at the same standard. We might not keep our, you know, colleagues at the same standard, but we oftentimes will keep our partners at the same standard of perfectionism because we think of it going out into the world that our spouse or our long-term partner is an extension or a reflection of who we are. So if they are acting like a damn fool, if they're not doing whatever we've considered is right, then that would have a negative impact on how everybody views you, right? So this is oftentimes it kind of spills over into how we're talking or treating our partner. Like if they aren't initiating the right way, if they are being maybe really loud out in public, or they're only saying the right kind of things, like when it comes directly to sex, right? A lot of times what I hear is like, well, he's just not saying the right things to turn me on. You know, it's either too dirty or not dirty enough, (laughs) or it's all focused on this. Like he's just not doing it right. Like, you know, we have these standards for our partners as well. So you can see how perfectionism literally does nothing for your pleasure. There are so many reasons why perfectionism shows up, but really the important thing is for you to become aware of how it's showing up for you. Where are your standards creeping in that are unrealistic to begin with? Can we question those? Can we begin to peel those apart? Can we begin to just start being curious about what we think it should look like, where we think we're not measuring up? Where are you not believing that what you're doing is good enough? And what do you do, especially when you don't meet these standards? So on the one hand, we really want to pause and take a look at this type of standards that we've set out for ourselves, looking at these measurements, being really curious about these definitions that maybe we have of what it looks like to be a good mom or a perfect wife or a sexual being, right? What does that look like? Are these standards realistic? 
are these standards serving you? And then when you don't meet them, how do you treat yourself? As you're working on kind of being curious and maybe changing standards for yourself, you also want to look at, in the meantime, if I keep some of these standards, I at least need to meet myself with more compassion and not get so attached to the outcome to define whether or not I'm adequate, whether or not that I'm lovable, whether or not I'm worthy. Now, I think this is also a really good time to note that perfectionism is not the same thing as having goals or having aspirations or wanting to be the best version of you. That is very, very different, okay? (laughs) That's a lot of what we do in coaching. And the main difference is seeing that your goals or these, you know, what you're striving for are becoming inspiring and motivating. Like I said, they're not going to shut you down. They aren't like, oh, if I don't reach this goal or if I don't move into this version of myself, then it doesn't mean that I'm bad or wrong or not smart enough or not good enough or not sexy enough or not capable. That is the difference. We can still strive for potential. We can still strive for our best. We can still strive to be the full expression of ourselves. But this shouldn't be the type of relationship that shuts you down. It should be motivating. It's not being like, oh, I need to do this to prove that I'm lovable. It's like, oh my gosh, I love myself so much and I know how lovable I am. Let's see what else is possible. It's the difference between seeing or having this vision of this hot sex life and thinking that I must have that. And then if I don't, making it mean something about you or something wrong with your relationship, right? So we don't have to feel this pressure when we have this different relationship with ourselves. When it's not coming from this perfectionist tendencies, then you can be so much more loving and understanding and really having that growth mindset along the way and not berating yourself. So when you do notice that you're berating yourself, when you do know that you're making the outcome or your result means something about you. When you have thoughts just like I did that I'm not capable or I'm not smart enough or I don't belong or they're like, they're all better than me and I just can't figure it out, right? (laughs) When we have those kind of thoughts afterwards, we know that our perfectionism is showing itself. We know that now it's become more of this perfectionist aspiration instead of having a healthy aspiration. And when you become aware of this, this is not a chance to beat yourself up more. It's like a chance to put your hand on your heart and be like, oh, there it is again. Okay. I love you. I can see this is coming back. That makes sense. These are tendencies you've had for your whole life. Of course, it would come out again. Do you see how much it hurts you when you think this way about yourself? Are you ready, really, really ready to not feel like this anymore? Because that's the conversation I have to have or I had with myself. Like, oh, woman, like you have been putting yourself through the ringer at different times in your life. Like, 
can we let go of this now? Can we just make the promise that we're not going to say those kind of things anymore and really decide that you're not? So you're bringing this awareness to your perfectionist tendencies. You're getting curious from this loving place and where it shows up and what standards you're holding yourself to and how this negatively impacts your pleasure. And then you come and you can be like, are we ready to make this decision? I don't want to see you hurting anymore. Like, I love you so much. We don't need to hurt like this. We can let this go. So perfectionism and pleasure simply don't mix, my friends. So take a look at it for you and then make a decision to work on your perfectionism for the sake of your pleasure, for the sake of your well-being, for the sake of you feeling at ease and calm and loved in this world, because we all deserve that. As always, it's been my absolute pleasure to share with you today this episode and this conversation that I think is so important for us high-achieving women in the world and how perfectionism wreaks havoc on our pursuit of pleasure. I hope it's given you some things to think about. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you next week.